And I'm so excited about, uh, about this week and what God is going to do. Uh, before I do that, I'd like to uh, thank you for sending your students to Snowbird. Uh, and uh, I love my children and your grandchildren more than I love my own life. But I promise you, we will take better care of your students, uh, your children, than we do our own because they are precious gifts that are put into our hands to protect. So we thank you for that. Also, uh, boy, I love the preacher did an excellent job of preaching. And that Jamaican accent was real special, wasn't it? <laughs> it's obvious he doesn't know any patois, right? I mean, he, the, it was surely a North Carolina Jamaican song, all right? Now then, uh, I've been asked to preach a revival this week, and I'm a simple kind of guy. And when I was asked to preach my first revival, I looked up the word. And the reverb word revival simply means that you revive something that was it still is alive, okay? Now, we live in the farming country out here in North Carolina, and I love the farming country. This is my kind of place. And uh, you, you guys know that what a revival is, how the revivals got started. Revival got started because the farmers would have to spend all spring planting their crops. And they had to do it seven days a week. And they, uh, they many times, a lot of churches only had church once a month, but they went through the, the planting season and then at the end of the planting season, they would have a revival. And it was because they hadn't been able to come to church a lot, and they would have a revival. Now, you know that the, that the preacher would, you know, spit and holler and sweat, and, you know, and a lot of people get saved. And that's what, that's what we have a picture of revival being. But let me tell you something. Revival is for the believer. Okay? Uh, if you're not saved, you can't be revived. You've got to be saved first. Okay? And then you can be revived. And then in the fall, the same process took over. So revival is for the believers to get right. And I promise you, when the believers get right, people will start getting saved. Amen. When the believers get right, this building would not hold them. Because, let me tell you something, the world is waiting for the church to get right. Amen. There's a, that's one reason we have revival. I think people think that's when people get saved. No, no that's, when, that's when the church gets right. And the second reason we don't have revival is the fact that we've learned to live without it. Did you come here today looking for a fresh touch from God and that you would leave here totally changed, closer to God than you've ever been? Or are you just coming here and going through the motions and going home the exactly the same way you came? You know what we've learned? And you say, well, preacher, you've you, you got to be kidding me. Uh, you telling me we really don't want revival? Let me tell you how I know. I'm looking at most of you for the last time this week. Tonight and Monday night, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, you won't be here because you don't feel that you need a touch from God. You don't need God to speak a fresh word to you. And we've learned to live without that. And that's the reason our churches are being ignored. We've learned. Would you just say today, Lord, speak to me? Lord, speak to my heart? The uh, foundation of the church is Jesus Christ, okay? But the building blocks that the church is built on are the families within the church. And so you've got to realize that Satan is after the family. 
attacking the family in every way possible. The reason that I've been in student ministry uh, for 30 years is the fact that, that I feel like that, that uh, making investments in children and in family is the best thing I can do for the church. So if we're going to have revival in the church, we're going to have to start with revival in the family. So today I'm going to talk to you about a very familiar passage. Uh, it kind of makes me nervous that the choir's back there. I met some of those guys earlier, and I don't really trust them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so uh, y'all watch my back. I'm going to go up there and check on them once in a while. But uh, <clears throat> Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Now, you and I know exactly what that verse means. When our kids are in the primary grades, when they're in the, all the smaller classes, you know, they go back there and they learn to put a quarter in the offering plate and they learn a verse and some songs. And about twice a year, we parade them out here on the stage and we put a sunshine on their face or we put wings on their back and they sing a couple of songs and grandma takes pictures. And then they get into the, into the uh, junior high and senior high. And the truth of the matter is this, that 85% of graduating seniors from evangelical churches in America today put the key in the ignition, crank it up, and drive away from the church never to return. That, my friends, is an indictment on me as a camp director and as you as a church that our camps and our churches and our services aren't interesting enough to hold our young people. It's an indictment on me as a Christian and you as a Christian that your life, my life, is not exciting enough to keep people interested. And it's not my life, it's Jesus living through me Amen. that will make the difference. And I'm telling you, we need to realize that, that we've, got to, we've got to live out what the Word of God says. And yes, they drive away to the church, and then when they get, you know, train them up the way so they should go. And then when you get about 45 years old, and you got a pot belly, and you're bald-headed, and you go, Oh, Lord, take me back in the church and take me to heaven when you die, when I die. And the only thing you're good for by them is to sit on a committee and vote. Y'all know what a committee is, don't you? The unwilling appointed the unqualified usually to do the unnecessary. Uh-huh. I got some real good looks after that statement. Uh-huh. I guess they was committee members, huh? <laughs> I got news for you. If that is a promise from God, I quit. If that's all God's promise is, sell the camp. Let's open up a, a you know, restaurant in here. We've got plenty of room. That's not a promise from God I could raise my children on. So I want to ask you something. Do you think the problem is the problem is, is the problem with the promise or with our understanding of the promise? So let's see what God is intended. Is train up a child in the way that he should go. The word train there, uh, could somebody grab me some water? Pastor, thank you. All right, uh, train up a child. The word train there is a very unusual word, and of all things, it deals with the roof of your mouth. Now, uh, the first thing it talks about the roof of mouth, it uh, re relates to and gives us a word picture of the, the fact, well, the uh, train means the roof of the mouth. Now, you guys know how a bit works on a bridle in a horse, okay? If you got a bit in a, in a bridle and you put it on a horse, that bit has a hump on it. Okay, and when you pull back on the bridle, that hump rolls up and puts pressure where? On the roof of his mouth. And I'm convinced with enough time and the right kind of bit, you could teach a horse algebra if you wanted to. 
Because you've got, when you have the roof of his mouth, you have got his attention. Now, part of raising our children is that process of reining them in. Your children and grandchildren do not need a buddy. They do not need a friend. They do not need a peer. They need a mama and a daddy and a grandma and a grandpa that will make them mine. Amen. Getting mighty quiet in here. <laughs> Praise God for children's church. I don't know if you had children's church, but children's church is good. But it's also good, I think, that, that, that people, uh, that you bring your children into worship. I, I, well, they didn't have children's church when I was growing up, and I was in every worship service. The difference between then and now is simply this. My mother could take those two fingers right there on the back of your arm and make you see all the planets and the stars at one time. <laughs> My daddy could turn and give you a look Amen. that would sit you down, and you wouldn't say anything for about six hours. <laughs> the big difference is, you know what? People used to bring their children to church and make them mine. Amen. And see, but our children need reining in. And we, you know, we did a pretty good job of raising our kids for a couple of hundred years. And this idiot Spock came along. Amen. And we, we have forgotten what the Word of God says about raising our children. Amen. When's the last time you went to the grocery store and see a five-year-old take over the whole place? Throwing maters and taters and beans everywhere. And everybody goes, oh, I don't know what to do. Oh, smack that kid. Throw him in the cart. Get your groceries and go to the house. Amen. Amen. Right. We got the ta tail wagging the dog. I've never seen the lie of things that people, people say they're letting their children do and, and make decisions on. You are their mother and their father. Amen. It's up to you to lead them. It never amazes me. Youth, pastor, youth leaders will call me and say, well, the children are deciding where they want to go to camp. I say, wait a minute, aren't you the leader? Amen. You know, we, we need some people to stand up and lead and rein in. Now, that reining in, that's the part that daddy likes. Huh? I mean, you know, uh, have you ever heard this word? You did it, cause you do it because I said to. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's not a bad statement. You know what? If you do not break the will of your children and your grandchildren, that you have just and you're their fatherly and motherly influence, and they don't they don't respect your authority. How are they ever going to respect God's authority when you're here in person? You know, my Bible says, "Let your yes be yes, and your no be no." You know, when if you have to tell a student something twice, they've already obeyed you once, disobeyed you once. And then what about this one, two, three, four, five thing? Dear God in heaven, you just let them disobey you four times. Amen. Am I making sense or am I just talking up here today? Yeah. Okay. When I stop making sense, you just raise your hand and I'll stop, okay? Because I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm telling you what thus saith the Lord, okay? And that's what we need to do as church members. We need to do what the book says, right? Amen. It says that we need to rein our children in. They need some discipline. They need some rules. And oh yeah, let me give you a little hint here. If you set up rules of things they're supposed to do and not do, you better lay out the consequences if they break the rules because they'll break the rules and then you'll realize that you got Perry Mason for a child, okay? Because they will begin to negotiate and talk and work things. You know, you need to say, okay, if you don't come in on time, this is what happens, okay? Help yourself there. 
Train up a child. The second word is, has to do with the roof of the mouth. And it has to do with the fact that when a baby was born in those days, the midwife, as soon as the baby was born, she would take a piece of ripe fruit, she'd stick her thumb in there like that, she'd get that nectar on there. The minute the baby was born, she'd take that baby in her arms, she'd put that thumb in the baby's mouth and massage where? The roof of its mouth. And it would create in that baby a desire to nurse so that the minute it was put to its mother's breast, it would get the nourishment it needs. The reason I've been in youth ministry for all these years is I love students. But I also love moms and dads. And the hardest job in town, guys, is creating a desire in today's young people for God at home. I've been in youth ministry 30 years, full-time for 25 years. And I figured out what kids' biggest problem is. They have to go home. When your child comes out, it is a blank slate. And what your child is today, except for the natural tendencies that God gave them, they are what you write on that slate or what you allow to be written on that slate. And you say, well, I got my Bible and I got Jesus. We're down to church house and just trying to raise my babies. Can I tell you something? Praise God, that's enough. But you've got to get serious about this. You've got to get serious about surrendering your life to him and doing what he says in every aspect of your life so your children will have something to follow. The hardest job in town is creating a desire to train up a child in the way that he should go. It, that word would best be translated the way that he is bent, okay? Now, the toughest thing going in those days was an archer. An archer could kill you at long range, at short range, and so the archers would spend weeks at a time, they would walk through the forest, they would look at the limbs of trees, the trunks of trees, the type of trees, they'd finally make a selection and make a cut, they would skin the bark off and dry the wood in a fire, and they would, then they would shape the bows and arrows, and then they would spend weeks practicing with those bows. Like, this is a great bow, and it would be a weapon of righteousness that I can defend my God. They would practice with those arrows. They, oh, this is just a target arrow, but no, no, this is a good one. And they would, they would actually figure out exactly how the bow and the arrows and everything was bent so they would understand the purpose and the best function. You and I have to find out which way our children are bent. We've got to, now, can I tell you something? All children are bent differently. And if you think they're all the same, you're nuts, okay? They are not. And you know what? The only way you can know how they're bent, I'm going to tell you in just a minute, but, but you've got to spend time with them. You know what? Uh, I'm an old ball player, so, you know, maybe uh, I see some old my friends. You know, I never made the varsity, but my boy, he's going to play peewees and little leaves and varsities, and he's going to be a ball player. You just wait. Or I might talk to one of my lady friends. She said, you know what? I never made the first chair in the band. But my daughter, she's going to be the drum major. She's going to play that clarinet. Can I tell you something? If you don't know which way they're bent, it could be that the boy needs to be the drum major and the girl needs to be the kicker on the football team. But how are you going to know that unless you know the way they're bent? Uh, one little fact there, one other little archery fact, ladies, I want to tell you. The ladies that struggle with this the most. When is the only time an arrow does any good? 
when you let it go. You are raising your children to let them go. From the moment they are born, you are raising them to let them go. Not live in a double wide behind your house. I'm not talking about financial strings. I'm talking about apron strings. You got that? Okay. Well, I get some cold looks real quick. You know what I mean? How I get in trouble places, I'll never know, but I seem to, you know. If you want to know how, which way a child is bent, if you turn over one page in your Bible to chapter 24, verse 3 and 4, it says, Wisdom, through wisdom a house is built, through understanding it is established, and through knowledge the, the rooms are filled with great and precious treasures. It talks about three things there. And the first one I want to talk about is the fact that you have to have, you have, to have knowledge. If you're going to raise your children, you need to open your eyes and just figure out to know what, you've got to know what's happening, okay? If you go out to move your son's car, he's been out with his buddies on Saturday night, and you've got to move his car out of the driveway so you can get your car down the driveway, and you back down the driveway, and you put on the brakes, and beer bottles roll out from underneath his seat, he's drinking cold beer. Right? Oh, that's my friend's beer. <laughs> oh, these, no, these boys just asked me to hold it for them. No, that's his beer. You know how I know it? Because that's what you did. And that's what I did, okay? And you know what? It's about time we just, oh, and you know what? You just need to admit, the boy's drinking coffee. Oh, not my sweet little old baby. No, I get them at camp. I know what they're doing, Okay. You know what? If you look in your daughter's ashtray in her car and there's ashes in there, she did not burn her draft card. <laughs> She's smoking something, right? You have got to acknowledge that you have a problem. God says he cannot heal until you're willing to reach forth the withered arm. My Bible says our, uh, God is not deaf, his arm is not short, but our sins separate us from him. And until you, it's called repentance, it's called confession, it's called what we do as Christians. And if you don't do it, God cannot work in your life. And you've got to admit that you've got a problem. In the fifth grade, my son started having trouble academically. We had his ears checked. They were fine. He needed eyeglasses. We moved him to the front of the room. Still problems. The sixth grade, my wife and I decided we would homeschool him. And two weeks into that, we realized the man's got some problems, okay? So I could have taken the redneck interpretation of what was going on. Yeah, them, them teachers, they picked on me, and now they're picking on my boy. No. Uh, we had him tested by a psychologist, and he has a learning disability and abstract thinking. You say, preacher, what's that? I don't know. <laughs> I know where he got it, but I don't know. <laughs> and you know what? We had to begin looking for and then we put him back in public school and when my son went into the seventh grade, he was in below-level learning. That's what the teachers call the classes, below-level learning. The students don't call them that. 
They have some other terms they use for the students in below-level learning. My son started in seventh grade in below-level learning. But about the time school started, we found a tutor that had the same disabilities that he does. And in one semester, my son went from below-level learning to the honor roll. Why did that happen? Because I was willing to admit I had a problem. In our marriages, when are we going to admit that some stuff just ain't right? That we're struggling with stuff we ought not be struggling with and we're going over the same ground over and over. And, you know, in our marriages, you know, we're, we're just not willing to admit that there's something that's a little wrong. What about raising our children? Isn't there, isn't there things about, about you're raising your children and things you don't understand? And you're saying, you know, this is not right. And can I tell you something? Until you're willing to go to God and say, God, I don't know what to do. I know what's going on, but I don't have a clue. Okay? You've got to know. Uh, at Snowbird, we have a rule. If we don't like what you're wearing, we have the right to put a T-shirt on it. Uh, there's a young lady in my youth group. When she turned 16, uh, let me see how to best describe this. She matured, okay? Y'all got it? Okay. <laughs> she matured, okay? And we got to camp that summer, and she comes walking out the first day with a string bikini on. And as I was slamming the fourth T-shirt down over her head, I said, where did you get this bathing suit? She said, my mama bought it for me because it shows off my figure. Isn't there a country music guy, something about here's your sign? <laughs> you know what that mother needed? A sign. Uh, there's another a little boy. He was, he was about 13, skinny, curly-headed. Every time something was broken at church, he would be standing beside it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, and then uh, one summer, we had a, a, a young lady came down. She came to stay a couple of weeks with her grandparents. She was from a foreign country. I think it might have been Michigan or Massachusetts one. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, she came down. And, you know, by this time, he was 14, she was 14. And when they saw each other, it was love at first sight, right? Now, you and I know it's puppy love, but puppy love is important to who? The puppies. That's right, Okay. <laughs> And she stayed her two weeks, and then it's time for her to go home. And, man, we had a party. And they were kind of, ah, you know, and we had the party. We went home. About 12 o'clock, the mother went up, uh, the daddy went upstairs to take, uh, just check on his son, and he wasn't in the bed. So they look around, and then they call us out. And we got everybody looking. And at 4 o'clock in the morning, we found him and the little girl in, his, in, in her grandparents' basement behind the furniture. Oh, yeah, the, part of this, the title of this part of my sermon is Parents Don't Be Stupid. That mother that gave her daughter that bathing suit was stupid, okay? My wife says, can't you find a better word for this part of your sermon? I said, no. <laughs> we found them in there. Uh, we found them, and the parents started coming in, so I left because I li don't like to hear the tearing of flesh and the gnashing of teeth, you know? <laughs> and, man, I got out of there because I didn't want to see what's going to happen to that little boy. Oh, yeah, that part about reining in. The Bible says, spare the rod and spoil the child. 
That's today's version says that. Uh, can I tell you something? My daddy did not know anything about a time out. He knew a knock you out and a take you out, but he didn't know anything about a time out. And I'm not talking about beating your children, but they need to know there's some consequences to their disobedience. Some children, a timeout might work, and some children, it won't. And you better find out the difference. And don't be stupid about that, okay? I used to cut the grass at my house for 50 cents. We had about four acres, and I had a push more about this wide. <laughs> I went to my dad one day. I said, Dad, my buddies get a dollar for cutting their yard. He said, shut up and cut it for nothing this week. I didn't ask anymore. I didn't have any entitlement. It was what he said. This little boy, the next day, this little boy's mother comes to church, and she comes in, you know, and I expect her knuckles to be bloody and a lot of different stuff, you know. She says, Johnny, um, we were, found the Johnny in the Williams basement yesterday at, at, at 4 o'clock in the morning, and we were just about to scold him, and then he looked at me and says, but Mom, I was only trying to witness to her. You're telling me this 14-year-old boy is turning into Billy Graham overnight? <laughs> I don't think so. That lady needed a sign. And it ought to say, what? Stupid. I know we don't use the stupid word very much. We don't like our children to use the stupid. But there are certain times it's in the dictionary, and there's times it needs to be used. Parents, uh, can I tell you something? My mother was a Sunday school teacher. My mother was the ultimate church lady. And I ran with the meanest boys in Fulton County, Georgia. And every night, Saturday and Friday and Saturday night, anytime I went out, before I went out the door, she'd say, are your friends nice? And in those years, you know what I'd say? Mom, if you're that stupid, you don't deserve an answer. Is that what you want your children and grandchildren to think of you, that you're so unaware, that you're so out in space somewhere? that you don't even know what's going on? If you think your children are walking down the same, the halls of the same school you do with hoop skirts and bobby sock going shoe bop, shoe bop, you're nuts. Our children go through more temptation in junior high than you and I went through in university. And if you don't think so, you're wrong. Because I'm in student ministry. I hear it all. And if you knew what your students were into, your children, your, if you knew what they're into, you would never get over it. Through knowledge, it is established. You've got to figure out what is going on about the why. You know what's going on, but why is it going on? Why is it that your daughter has to have a boy on the phone? 24-7. She's talking to boy like they're talking like that. And then she breaks up with him, and four minutes later, she's going with another guy. She's 14 years old and she's not going anywhere. But she breaks up with one. And she's, I'll tell you why. Because God made little girls so they need to talk to a man. And Daddy, that's supposed to be you. But if you won't spend time to talk with her, she'll find herself a man. A young man, about 15 years old, that's got the IQ of a grape, okay? 
and he will try to talk her into stuff he's got no business talking to. Why is it, Dad, that every time that joint goes around in the car, every time that bottle's passed around, your son, he can't say no. He doesn't know where he stands with his friends, so he's got to kind of do something to fit in, and he don't know where he stands with you, and that doesn't give him help, so he turns it up. Do you know what's going on with your children? Do you know? Do you truly know? And do you understand why it is going on? This thing about knowing. I became a youth pastor in 1987 for the first time. My uh, daughter was 13. My son was 10. And I wouldn't ask him, would it be okay if I was a student minister? Yep, that's cool. And you know what? My daughter kind of raised herself, but my son was a different story. And see, I was, you know, and, and now listen to me. I'm not out drinking cold beer chasing women. I'm leading men and women, boys and girls, to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And see, every student in Cherokee County, Georgia, knew that I loved them except one. That's my boy. I mean, I coached his teams. I went to his practices. I was at every ball game. But, you know, I was so busy doing ministry. And I had a junior guy, high guy that, was, that Stephen loved. I thought, well, you know, Tom will take care of him. And when he got to be about 12, 13, he started drifting away. He got his driver's license. He started driving away. And man, he loves me and I love him, but he looked me in the eye and lie. And you know what? I wanted to believe him, but he was lying. He went off to college, got involved in all kinds of stuff. They asked him to leave the university because of his actions. And you know what? My wife and I were devastated. But you know, we had, we had to start asking, why is this happening? Why? We know, we know and see what's going on, but the question is, why is it going on? The Bible says you've got to know what's going on, you've got to know why it's going on. That, that's where you read books. That's where you, you know what? Uh, oh, here, here we go. See, you got to read books and listen to James Dobson. And you know what? If you're a parent, you ought to read every book about raising children there is. Ladies, you get the book, you read it, you highlight the things you want your husband to read because that's all he's going to read, okay? <laughs> Amen? If you're married, I would suggest you read a book on marriage. The average wedding today costs about $15,000, and you won't spend $15.95 on a book to try to stay married. If you have a job and get a check, you ought to read everything with Crown Ministries and uh, what's his name? Bur uh, Burkett. Oh, no, that's not his name. The financial guy. Who is it? Dave Ramsey. Y'all read everything, Dave Ramsey. I just went to Dave Ramsey's school last year about managing my finances. And see, that's part of knowing. 
Now, we have to do that today because something is missing. Now, there's something that's missing. I read a book the other day. I don't remember the name of that book, but it was a good book. <laughs> and it said something in there about the older women of the church teaching the younger women how to raise their babies and stand by your man. That same book said something about the older men in the church were supposed to teach the younger men in the church how to be a man of God and raise your children in admonition of the Lord. It was in there. And can I tell you something? That is about gone. And I know your kids don't want to listen to you. And I know that they think you're old-fashioned. But let me tell you something. I'm never going to stop hollering, and don't you stop hollering. You tell them what they need to do, and you don't even have to tell them why. You just tell them you know as their parents. My Bible says that you're supposed to honor your father and mother, and it does not have a time limit. And there is one generation, probably two generations of life knowledge that's being ignored in this church because we won't stand up and say something. You've got to know what's going on. And then the last thing is this. You've got to ask for knowledge. Knowledge, I mean wisdom, knowledge, let me say, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? There's only one place. God. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. See, if you know that you were created for him and by him and for his good pleasure and you're not being that in your life, you need to fear. If your sins are forgiven, thank, thank you very much, you're right, but the consequences of your sin will never be forgiven. Sin, yes, consequences, no. See, the, the world doesn't want our young people to see the consequences of starting to, do, to smoke marijuana. Just drink a few cold beers. But they never showed the picture of the lady that's out selling her body for $25 a pop to beat her habit. And yes, that lady can become a Christian, and praise God, many do. But let me tell you something, the consequences of those sins will always be there. He doesn't remove you of the consequences. You've got to ask wisdom. We knew our son was out there, and my wife and I fell on our face before God and said, what do we do? And it was to stand firm in our faith. It was to love him unconditionally. And it was to pray and ask God to move. He Came out of school. That's right when we first started Snowbird. Uh, he came to stay at camp two months during one summer just to appease me, and then he was out. Now, I love him, and he loves me. But I know he needs help, and he doesn't quite know it yet. And you know what? He lasted about a month before he got saved. And, in a few, and then he, God began to deliver him from his drug habit. 
the preacher's boy. They see there's this terrible lie going around. If you're right with God, your kids will be okay. Uh, let me tell you something. When your kids are in trouble right up to here, and I see how you help them get out, then I'll, uh, then I'll judge you as a parent. But you know what? We need to be a church that's begging for wisdom of how to raise our children. You know what? If we're going to have revival this week, it's first going to start in your heart. And you need to be asking yourself the question this week, God, will you let it be me? Let revival start in me. I preached in England and Scotland with, with pubs and bars that had been closed for hundreds of years because of the Welch revival. Would you dare say, let it be me? God, would you just do a fresh work in my, would you just blow on the coals of the fire that used to burn bright in my soul and rekindle that fire? Would you let it be me? And then, if we're going to have a revival in the church, it's got to be in our families. You know what? There's some dads in here that need to elbow your wife and say, Honey, we need to get this thing right. There's some grandparents they need to nudge each other and say, you know what? We've got to be more involved. The youth are in here, and I promise you about 50% of the youth that are in here, they come to church, but their parents don't come. And there's some people in here that will commit to get involved in the ones that don't have If we want to see God move, if we want the people of this county to recognize that we're on this hill, we've got to confess our problems, ask God's forgiveness, and do business with Him. It's just that simple.